you know, being a chef isn't just a job, it's, it is a huge part of your life and that's just the way it goes, but you wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, but it is just sort of, I've learned to prioritize my time very well. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There is a wonderful renaissance of brasseries in recent years in Sydney, a side of hospitality where traditional pastry and desserts have flourished in the past. But in the new world of brasseries, what is the approach with desserts? Ryan Mead is the head pastry chef of the Charles Grand Brasserie and Bar in Sydney. Ryan, how are you? Hello. Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to get you on the show. You're um, part of a really exciting grand establishment. Um, How are things going at the moment? Um, Yeah, things at the Charles are great. Um, Almost a year in now, um, so we've definitely found our feet. um, And it's just a very exciting time in terms of um, what we're creating and sort of everything that's going on there. Tell us a little bit about your role. Brasseries of the past have had, um, you know, real key components have been traditional desserts. And um, But what's been your approach here? Uh, my approach is, it's a little bit, it's classic. Um, I think that my training, um, my style is very sort of classic and traditional. Mm. Um, but then it's also that sort of push for... Um, sort of a bit of a, a modern twist to it. Um, so I'm trying to trying to do the classic desserts, but also have um, a lot of technique and a lot of um, sort of different skills shown in what we do there. Tell us about the, your role at the moment. Do you, do you have a license to do whatever you want or is it in consultation with the executive chef? Like how, what's the process there in regards to desserts? Um, so this is the first role I've had, which is um, sort of where I have – full control, which is really nice and scary at the same time. <laughs> but uh, me and the head chef, Dilly, we work closely together just with um, coming up with ideas and it's very sort of cohesive um, between pastry and main section as well. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of very exciting to um, just be sort of supported and encouraged to do whatever I think of, um, obviously, as long as it's in line with what we do. Um, but it's, yeah, very exciting. We've seen a few brasseries open up uh, lately, which is amazing, and I love to see that. Tell us a little bit about the Charles and what you guys are doing there. Yeah. Um, So, Charles is a European-style brasserie. Um, We offer menus from breakfast through to dinner, um, and we have an afternoon tea selection there as well. Um, So, that's a great thing. You can come in any point of the day, um, whatever you feel like, whether it just be a petty foreign coffee, a light lunch, afternoon tea, um, you can sort of come in for anything. Um, and then I guess my, my main focus there is we have the dessert trolley, um, which is pretty exciting. Um, it's great when you walk in um, and you just see this dessert trolley piled up um, going around the restaurant. You just see everyone's faces sort of light up in the excitement. Um, and so that's sort of the main main focus for me. Tell us about the dessert trolley. Is there a tendency to want to wow people with the look of it as opposed to the, like, how do you get that balance of a great yeah. dessert? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I think um, the way I believe, well, the way I see things is people eat with their eyes before, before they even look at a menu. So the dessert trolley has to be visually impressive. Um, but then it's always my... Um, 
my belief that it has to look as good as it tastes and vice versa. You know, one can't out- outweigh the other. Um, so when we create things for the dessert trolley, it's a it's a long process trying to make things look visually stunning, but also taste just as good as they look. Well, I want to explore sort of what you're doing there and maybe a few dishes in detail a bit later on. But um, take us back to when you were young. Where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? Um, so I grew up in a small country town um, called Toowoomba up in Queensland. Um, and food, I, I grew up in a big family um, and food was always something that brought us together. Um, all the aunts and uncles and cousins. Anytime we came together, it was um, usually grandma cooking a big feast for everyone. And I think food always had a big part in my life, but I never really um, considered to have a career out of it. Um, and then sort of the older I got, I, um, I was enrolled for physiotherapy at university um, and I deferred for a year. Yeah, <laughs> completely different. <laughs> um, deferred for a year because I wanted to get out of Toowoomba and explore the world a little bit. Um, and I ended up in London. That was the first place I went, um, ran out of money pretty quickly. (laughs) And, um, I got a retail job in the Harrods food hall. And, um, I think coming from a small country town, um, sort of the fanciest chocolate you get there was maybe lint. Um, you know, (laughs) and so I think going over somewhere over to Europe where chocolate and patisserie is such a huge appreciated sort of craft. Um, it was like a, a whole new world had been opened up to me and I really fell in love with sort of pastry and chocolate and I knew I wanted to sort of pursue a career in that. Um, and then so there was a chef um, in the food hall. He had a concession, William Curley, um, and I just fell in love with everything that he did um, and I just harassed him every time he came in. Um, <laughs> eventually he gave in and um, took me on as an apprentice And so that's sort of where my love for patisserie started. Before we get into that sort of world of Harrods and your immersion into into pastry, um, what was it like for you, you know, what was life like in London for you having grown up in Toowoomba? Um, Was it a bit of a shock? Yeah, it was a a huge shock. Um, Yeah, it was just completely um, sort of life-changing. Um, everything was different growing up in somewhere where the road I lived on was a dirt road. Um, we had horses that we used to ride down to the creek. Um, and then being in London, I just turned 18. Um, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was an, an amazing experience, but it took me a long time to adjust. You mentioned uh Harrods and diving into that world. Take it. Take us in there. What? What sort of? What was it like at first when you started sort of uh, working with pastry and learning things? What were the real sort of moments for you? I think. Um, I think especially the world of chefing was always quite um, glamorized uh, on on TV and um, sort of movies. So I think the biggest shock was um, sort of the lifestyle change you need to make. Um, and but that that comes with it you know like the the job that you do as a chef sort of becomes your life and you love doing it um so adjusting to the hours was something um that I definitely had to get used to um but it was just it was just so exciting um I remember the first the first day I had in the kitchen um William's wife Suzu was showing us how to do chocolate flowers and it was all part of this massive sculpture that went on. Everything was just sort of mind-blowing and incredible. It was so exciting. Even making a caramel was exciting. It was... Um... <laughs> 
Harrods Food Hall is extraordinary. For those that have never been there, give it gives a sense of what it's like in the in the whole food hall. I feel like it's sort of like almost walking into like a Harry Potter world. Like it's there's so much going on. There's so many different stalls, and it's just piles or mountains of of chocolates and cakes and. It's just incredible the amount of produce that they have there and just the incredible sort of range of anything you want you can find there pretty much. Um, and so going into work there every day was also just so exciting. It was You'd find something new each day or you'd be inspired by something. It was just it's a very, very incredible place. Every time I go back to London, it's always one of my first places to visit just because it has such a special – it just brings that excitement out. Pastry is such an exacting science. Do you have any stories of what it was like for you in the early days trying to get things right and uh, making errors and then sort of finding your way? Yeah, <laughs> I think um, I've probably made as many mistakes as I have um, done things right. Um, but I think I've always been quite a, a perfectionist and um, sort of that precision has always been within me. So I think I was naturally just drawn to pastry for for that reason. Um, but I always think the, the big mistakes you make um, are always the ones that you, you learn from and then you learn never to do them again. <laughs> um, I remember my first day uh, trying to make a caramel. I dipped my finger in to see whether it was hot enough. So that was a big mistake I learned. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, nothing, nothing too major. So it's not too bad. <laughs> what were the sort of things that you were making um, there at, at Harrods with Will and Curley? Um, so, uh, William's really famous for his chocolates. Um, so that was a huge part of it. We do lots of couture chocolate, um, chocolate bars, um, a few sculptures here and there. Um, but then he also had a side of patisserie. Um, so we do lots of, um, individual patisseries, large cakes. Um, but then probably the most exciting part was on weekends, he used to do a dessert bar. Um, so it was the first place in London to do this. This would have been 10 years ago. Um, and it was five courses of desserts, um, and I was usually the chef there on the weekends doing that, so that was really fun, um, and I think that sort of was what um, introduced me to the service sort of side of the chef world, and I absolutely fell in love with that. It's getting to interact with customers, um, played up in front of people, it was really fun. What brought you back to Australia? Uh, I ran out of visa options. <laughs> I think um, if I, I, I'd probably still be there, I think, if um, things were different. But yeah, I ran out of visa options after about five years. Um, couldn't really find another way to stay. And so I came back to Australia. Um, and I think it was definitely the best decision I've made. I'm so happy being back. Um, I went back home for, might have been about three months. And I couldn't last any longer just life seemed so slow and there wasn't a lot going on um so then I just moved to Sydney um and I was applying around for jobs um there's some amazing pastry chefs uh in Sydney but I think one of the it was around the time when um Peter Gilmore's first cookbook came out and I was absolutely obsessed with it so I applied there thinking I would never get a job um just because I never worked in a restaurant and especially somewhere like Key. Um, and then I got a call back and went in for a trial and um, got the job. It was great. <laughs> well, you, you spent uh, quite a bit of time in the Fink Group. Um, t tell us about the experiences you had and um, how you rose the ranks there. 
Uh, I had the best time working um, between both Key and Benelong. It's about seven years in total. Um, and it was such a fantastic time. It was the team there is incredible. I feel like I've had some really, really good influences um, who have sort of helped me with my career, guided along. Um, but yeah, I started as a demi chef um, back before Key got renovated. And it was crazy times. We were doing huge numbers. Um, there was a lot going on. And I think that was a, a great way to sort of learn how to um, manage a service and how to sort of control those numbers, how to delegate. Um, so, yeah, really, really happy memories from that time. And then moving over to Benelong, that was my first head pastry chef role. Um, and that was, I, I loved Benelong. I've got nothing but good things to say about um, my time working there. Um, it's very special to me. Um, and yeah, that was that was even bigger of a beast. That was um, <laughs> sometimes we'd do about 200 covers a night. And it was great to sort of learn how to maintain that two hat quality and standard while working under the pressure of those numbers. Tell us about that head uh, pastry chef role there. What, what did it encompass? Um, so the head pastry chef role there is um, maintaining, like I just said, maintaining the service um, and the standard that we had there. And it, this was a really special time for me. I was working quite closely with Peter Gilmore in um, developing um, these incredible ideas that he had and um, just, yeah, spending months creating recipes and methods to try and make them work. Um, it was a really, really great time. Well, Benelong's renowned for some of the most incredible desserts that have featured on the covers of magazines and um, look like the Opera House and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> um, t tell us about some of, some of the desserts that you guys created there that you have the most fond memories of. Oh, I do love doing the um, pavlova. I think it's just iconic. Um, that's the one that everyone sort of orders when they come in. Um, doing that was really, really fun. I think the... The one that's most special to me is the chocolate crackle. Um, that was something that um, I got to work on with Pete a lot. So I think that one probably took about three, four months in total, um, trying to figure out a way to individually cover the grains of rice with chocolate, um, still have them shiny. Um, there was so many steps and components to it. Um, and it was just a very sort of proud moment um, when that dish was completed. And it's still on the menu now, which is great. And it's just a very, it's a beautiful dish, but when you see how much work goes into it, um, it's pretty incredible. Peter Gilmore is a, a legend of the Australian hospitality sector. Uh, do you have any stories of what he's actually like to work with? Oh, Peter's fantastic. He's um, very, very inspirational. It's just, I wish that my mind could work the way that his mind works. <laughs> um, he's, he just thinks everything through in such amazing detail and he'd come with, to me with these ideas. And in my head, I was like, there's no way that this is going to work. It's not possible. Um, and he's just sort of great at motivating and um, sort of positively pushing you to make it happen. And it's things that I thought were impossible that he's just a genius. And <laughs> you'd always find a way to, to make it work and make it exactly how he'd imagined it. Desserts have such an, such an impact on the dining experience. It's often the last thing that people experience when they dine out. What, what is it that lured you to a, a job in pastry? What do you love about it? I think for me it's the 
exactly what you've just said, how it's um, the last thing that you remember when you go out for a meal. Or I feel like a, a cake or, a, you know, something sweet is something you always give to someone, um, whether it be a celebration um, a, and I'm sorry. You know, I feel like everyone always sort of speaks through food and it always seems to be dessert, which is what people fall or tend to go towards. Um, so for me, I feel like it's a very special way to um, connect with people without sounding too lame. Um, <laughs> but I feel like it's, yeah, it's a very special part and it's just, it makes people happy. How did the opportunity at the Charles come about for you? Um, so that came about, um, I was just talking um, to Billy and he got me to come in and have a chat. Um, and just the idea of what they were planning to do with the Charles was just so exciting. I feel like this is the first sort of um, venue I've come across that has both something like the dessert trolley and an a la carte service. And so that for me was perfect because I love um, sort of the production side of pastry, but then I also love the service side of a restaurant. So for me, this is sort of the best of both worlds. You get to have both um, and just the, the possibilities to be creative um, are pretty much just endless, especially with the trolley. Uh, I think we've got about maybe about 15 to 20 things on there. And it can range from something as small as a chocolate to something as large as like a whole cake. So it's just, you can do so much there. So it was sort of an opportunity that as much as I loved working at Benelong, um, it was just something something different and an opportunity like that I didn't think would come around very often. Tell us a little bit about your creative process. Where, where does a dessert start and end? And do you have an example or two that you can take us through of your desserts that sort of typify that? Uh, yeah. I think um, the good – well, yeah, with the Charles, I think the way that my mind works, I can get so excited and um, have crazy ideas and so they sort of need to be honed down a bit. So I like it with the Charles because um, it's a European brasserie, so it has to – stick within that theme and that concept which is great and I feel like um, traditionally you always want to look at um, French especially with pastry but this has sort of made me sort of branch out and be inspired by um, different parts of Europe um, different traditional cakes that are from there and then I can sort of make my own twist on it or make it my own um, sort of variation um, so I think probably the most popular cake that we have is the honey cake um, and that's sort of got a big trend now. Um, but I think that it was a cake that I'd never heard of before. Um, and I was playing around with it. There's so many sort of different recipes. Um, I think I probably spent about two months working on the one that we have, um, just trying to get it right, trying to understand it properly. Um, and it's, it's absolutely delicious. It takes us two days to make, um, <laughs> and then one day in the fridge to set um, before it's ready. So it's a huge process behind it. But I think everyone who's tasted it can agree that it's it's worth it. And it's just nice because I think um, everyone gets excited about it. It's, it's tall, there's lots of layers in it, and everyone sort of loves the story behind it. So it's one of those cakes that gets everyone really excited. At, at the top of the show, you mentioned something about um, managing that balance when you first started working in food of that sort of life and work balance and getting a hold of that. You know, in that's a common thing in hospitality that people grapple with, but you're also dealing with uh, sweeter dishes and pastries, which are not necessarily healthy either. H how do you how do you get that balance, you know, with work and in life, with with food, with the areas that you're in? 
yeah, I think I've I've managed to sort of work out quite a, a good balance between everything at the moment. Um, you know, being a chef isn't just a job. It's, it is a huge part of your life and that's just the way it goes, but you wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, but it is just sort of, I've learned to prioritize my time very well. Um, and, you know, it's things like uh, at the Charles It's Great with staff meal, we're sort of very focused on making it healthy, nutritious, sort of give you energy as you keep going throughout the day. Um, and just trying to find that, that balance between having a healthy lifestyle, still trying to be sociable as well as um, putting yourself into work. It's a few moons ago that um, COVID sort of landed and you were at Bennelong at the time. What, what's, what was the world of hospitality like for you prior to all of this? And is it different now? And do you look for something different out of your career as a result of the last couple of years? Yeah, I think um, the hospitality world was definitely one of the most affected by hospitality. Uh, sorry, I think the hospitality industry was one of the most affected by by COVID. Um, it was a scary time. I remember not being sure what was going to happen. Um, and I think great things have come from it. I think now um, everything's sort of back to normal or pretty much back to normal. And I feel like everyone's sort of changed their, their mindset a little bit. I feel like when you go to dine out now, it's it's an event. It's not just something that you sort of take for granted. So I've noticed that a lot. I feel like it's a very positive change. I think everyone appreciates just being able to go out, being able to enjoy a nice meal. Um, I feel like I know myself, I don't really hold back anymore. It's like, if I want to order two entrees, I will. Like, <laughs> I think everyone has that sort of appreciation for um, so many things I guess we took for granted before and I do think that with hospitality people just celebrate it a lot more now. I think everyone's sick of cooking at home for two years. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had the amazing experience of working very closely with Peter Gilmore at Bennelong and now you've got a, a license to really go for it at the Charles. Uh, have, how, have you changed um, given that license um, with your approach and, and what's changed? Um, I think... Maybe, maybe in some aspects, I think that I just maybe maybe appreciate um, being able to to cook for people more. It made me appreciate having a job to go into, um, and I think that I guess maybe not priorities have changed differently, but I think it's just brought back that passion a little bit more. Um, it was a scary time thinking that your whole world's about to be changed. And so just being able to do what you do every day and absolutely love doing it, I think it's um, sort of put that fire back in a little bit. Uh, it's starting to warm up uh, against and, you know, we're heading into spring and then summer. Um, what, what can we expect to see, you know, in regards to desserts at the Childs in the sort of in the coming months as it does heat up? This is sort of my favorite time um, to be working with produce. Um, going into spring, summer, I feel like there's so many exciting fruits and produce to work with. Um, so we're going to see a lot of, lot of fresh ingredients um, coming back onto the trolley, a lot of light desserts. Um, I'm working on an a la carte dessert at the moment, which I'm really excited. It's almost there. Um, so that's going to be perfect um, sort of springtime, really light and fresh. Um, we've just done a, a new sort of whole changeover on the trolley um, just to sort of get us through to that time um, and already the mind's sort of working on what we can do next, what we can start working on. So yeah, there'll be some exciting stuff coming up. 
Well, uh, the Charles is making such an amazing impact on Sydney dining. What do you love about what you do? I I love the Charles. I think it's just one of those places where it's that very old school classic dining that you don't find um, that often anymore. It's not just going out for dinner. It's a, it's a whole experience. It's great to have um, a whole fish sort of carved and deboned at the table. Um, the steak tartare mixed at the table. I think it's that whole theatrical element um, which just really makes it special. And I just feel like it's such a, a great environment to be working in. Everyone's sort of excited um, to be delivering that service. So I think the Charles is just such a fantastic place that it's hard to compare it to to a lot of other dining experiences just because we sort of take it up that extra level. Well, um, look forward to seeing what you do from here on. And it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well. <laughs>